It's good to be able to stand back before you again this morning as we break unto you the portion of the bread of life. I want you to think about something for a moment. Christians are often ridiculed for believing, quote, water salvation. In fact, this past week I saw someone criticizing members of the church because they didn't believe in blood salvation. And they wrote the words of nothing but the blood of Jesus said members of church of Christ can't sing that because we believed in water salvation. Well, I want you to think about something for a minute. I want you to go back to the Bible. If you're a Bible student, you know these things to be true. The Bible teaches that people are saved by several things. First of all, it teaches us we're saved by the name of Christ. Over in the book of Acts in chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says we're saved. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So we're saved by the name of Christ, and that's the conclusion you can come to. And then we're saved by the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the power of God to salvation is it's the gospel. And it will save us uh, according to the apostle Paul. And then you go back, the Bible teaches people are saved by the grace of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, and it, I think I preached a lesson on the grace of God not long ago because there's a lot of people who, quote, left the Lord's church because we don't preach enough grace. Well, preach on grace all the time. Uh, don't, we just don't preach on their definition of grace. And that's, but we're saved by the grace of God, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 8 to 10. And if you want to know what, how they were saved by grace through faith, all you have to do is go to the book of Acts in the 19th chapter, and it'll show you how. We pointed that out at that point in time. Saved by the blood of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. No doubt that we're saved by the blood of Christ. It redeems us, it forgives us of our sins. So we're saved by the blood of Christ. We're saved in hope. In Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, we have this hope of eternal life, and we're saved in that hope. And he points out at that point in time that if we already had it, we wouldn't hope for it. And so we're saved in hope. We're saved by faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the Bible tells us in that passage we're justified by faith and we have access to grace through faith at that point in time. We also need to understand we're saved by obedience. We're saved by all those things. So if we're saved by all those things, which one's right? But the Bible also teaches us, some people do not accept it, that we're saved by water. Over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 3, verse uh, 20 and 21, he says, Who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark being prepared, in which few, that is, by eight souls, were saved by water. This is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in this passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us that we're saved by water or through water. It depends on the version you might have. But we need to understand there is a connection between water and salvation. You can say the same thing. There's a connection between the gospel and salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. There's a, there's, a, there's a connection between the blood of Christ and salvation. In our prayer this morning, we're thankful that Christ shed his blood. Why? That we can be forgiven. The remission of sins. There's a connection between water and salvation. But what is that, what is that connection? That's what we want to explore a little while this morning. I want you to think about Noah for a moment. When we talk about Noah and we talk about life that he lived, 
We need to understand that Noah lived in a terribly wicked situation. You go back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says along that line that, that the thoughts and intents of man's heart was continually evil. It was all time. But it says about Noah that he walked with God and he sought grace. And by the way, people don't think that grace is in the Old Testament. Grace is mentioned in the Old Testament several times, and this is one of the times it is mentioned. But when we go back to look at Noah, I want you to think about Noah and what took place during this time. God had, out of all his creation, God was not sorry he made a dog. He was not sorry he made a lion. He wasn't sorry he made a bear. But he was sorry, and it grieved him in his heart that he made man. Because man's heart was only evil continually. And as a result of that, he decides that I'm going to destroy man whom he created in verse 7. Both man and creeping things and beasts and the birds of the air, for I'm sorry I have made them. Then it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. As far as I know, Noah was the only good fellow all around. It doesn't say anything about his wife, how good she was or how bad she was. It just says that Noah, we know that she was saved because she followed Noah. It doesn't say anything about his boys how good they are, how bad they are, but it just says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So what we need to understand at this point in time that there was a danger that Noah didn't know about and that he was going to be revealed and it was by the grace of God that was revealed to him that he was in danger of death because God has, has decided he's going to destroy the earth. And everything in it. But Noah found grace. And as a result of that grace, he was told what to do in order to save himself. He was danger of death, physical death, on this occasion. He, if God had not said anything to him about it, if he had not found grace in the eyes of God, he would have known he would have drowned just like everybody else. But he walked upright. It says in verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And as a result of that, God shows his grace. God is going to show his grace by telling him and revealing to him what's going to take place. He said that God told Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. Verse 13. All the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them all from, from the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover inside with, and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make, make it. And, the length, and it goes into the length and the width and things of that nature. And the Bible says that he revealed all these things to him. Now, God didn't have to do that. But I want you to think about this, that Noah was in danger of physical death. And that God ended up going to save him. 
Over in the book of Genesis in chapter 7 and verse 16. Notice what it says, as they got into the ark, so those who entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. You know, I assume that once the Lord shut him in, they wasn't going to get out. He was in there. Lord shut him in. And so God is Noah's salvation and his Savior. We know that he was saved by grace because of what God did for him. We also know that Noah was saved by faith. Over in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 7, so then faith, or it says in that passage that Noah, uh, by faith Noah built the ark, the saving of his house. Noah was saved by obedience. You see all these things that we talked about in the very beginning Noah was involved with? But Noah was saved by obedience. He obeyed the word of God. Let's go back over to Genesis chapter 6 for a moment. In Genesis the 6th chapter, he was told all the things he had to do. And make yourself an ark of gopher wood, and he give him all the dimensions and, and how many windows he could have, how many doors he could have, all the things he could take into the ark, things of this nature. And he continues that uh, discussion in verses 18 through 22. But then at the end of verse 22, or at, at the end of chapter verse 6, in verse 22, it says, Thus Noah did. Now, you just stop right there, okay? Did Noah, if you just saw the, all the instructions God had given him and all the things he was supposed to do, and it just said, thus Noah did, could you come to the conclusion that Noah did what God told him to do? You could, couldn't you? Now, there's a lot of people in this world that don't believe that you have to be obedient to God and do the things that God tells you to have, that you have to do, but it says, thus Noah did. Now, Keep on reading. According to all that God had commanded him. Okay, what did Noah do? He did everything God said for him to do. He did exactly what God told him to do. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him. Stop. Don't read any further. There's still, there's still something else there. But can you come to the conclusion that God was obeyed? You know, I don't like snakes. How many of you like snakes? How many, raise your hand if you like snakes. Okay? I don't like snakes. And so, Lord, I think I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to build a little boat over here, and I'm going to tie it to the big ark because I want to put those snakes in that little boat. Now, if I did that, would I be doing according to all that God had commanded me? How many of you like skunks? I, you know, they can, be stink, they can be stinkers, can't they? You rile them up, they're going to be on that boat for a long time. And so behind that snake boat, I'm going to build a boat for those two skunks. And I won't put those skunks back here. If I did that, would God have been pleased with me? Would I have been doing everything that God told according to all that God had commanded me? We know the answer to that. 
Yeah, we have. We actually have brethren that do that. They'll build a snake boat and they'll build a skunk boat, thinking that God's going to be pleased with that. But Noah did everything. Thus, Noah did what? According to all that God had commanded him. He put the snakes on there. He put the skunks on there. He put the giraffes on there. He put everything that God told him to put on there. He did exactly what God said. And, said, and then it says, so he did. I think the writer here makes it abundantly clear that Noah obeyed him. He did what God said for him to do. He built the ark of gopher wood. He put the window in there. He put the door in there. He built the same of all the dimensions that God had instructed. He put everything in the ark that he was supposed to be in there. And, and as a result, he was saved. As a result, he could come to the conclusion that by faith he obeyed. He did. All according to all that God commanded him to do. And so that's what he did. The Bible says he was saved by water. Well, how in the world was he saved by water? Well, the term by means an instrument by which anything is affected. Water both saved Noah and destroyed the disobedient. When it started raining and, it, and, it, and the foundations of the, of the deep had been broken open, and the water came up, it lifted the ark, but it drowned the disobedient. It was the dividing line between the saved and the lost. And that's how you come to the conclusion that Peter came to that Noah was saved by water. And as a result, he was saved. And as a result of that salvation, he was righteous before God doing the things God wanted him to do. He became righteous and he condemned the world in righteousness. And in Genesis chapter 7 verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark and all of you are in the house because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And so Noah was saved. But someone said, well, what does that have to do with our salvation? Why do we talk about Noah's salvation? Why do we talk about our salvation? Well, let's talk about our salvation then. What's, what's comparison? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that we're saved from spiritual death. That's the antitype. You have the type. You have the antitype. The type was physical death. Antitype is spiritual death. Every person that sinned, according to the scriptures, is in danger of spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. All sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And so as a result of that sin, we are all in danger of spiritual death. However, there's a however. We need to understand that as a result of that, God desires all men to be saved. And God will save us. Turn over to the book of Titus in chapter 3. In the book of Titus in the third chapter, on this occasion here, the Apostle Paul makes a statement concerning salvation and concerning the things that God has done for us. Beginning in verse 4, he says, 
here he says, but the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward mankind appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. What do we say and what do we know about God? Is that God was loving and God was kind. Could you say that about God and Noah? Sure. Could we say that about us? God's kindness and his love of our Savior toward mankind appeared. Not the works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration. And so we need to understand God will save us. And that's the message we preach. We sing the song, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He still saves. He saved back in the time of the book of Acts when it was preached for the first time in Acts chapter 2. And it will still save us if we continue to preach that message. God will save us because it's what He wants to do. He will save us by His grace. You go back up to chapter 3 and, and He talks about that. Or actually chapter 2. He, he points this out that the grace of God has appeared to all men and brings salvation to all teaching us denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So God's grace has appeared. So we're saved by grace. We're saved by the grace of God just as the Ephesians were saved by grace through faith. The Ephesians were saved by grace through faith and obedience. How do I know that? Because when the Apostle Paul finally preached to them about the about, uh, baptism of Christ, the baptism of, in the name of Christ, what did they do? They were baptized in the name of Christ. Had they refused to be baptized on that occasion, could the, could the Ephesians been said they were saved by grace through faith? Well, we know the answer to that. If they had refused what Paul said, look here, Paul, we've been baptized in the name of John. That's what we're going to, we're satisfied with that. We don't care what you say about that. Paul couldn't have said what he said over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And he wouldn't have said it because they wouldn't have been saved by grace through faith. And so we need to understand we're saved by grace, but we're also saved by faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We have access through, to this grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Obviously, it's a faith that obeys. That's what we see in, in the salvation of, of Noah and the salvation of others. Many times, if you go back over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about how people were disobedient. And then it uses the term disobedient and unbelief interchangeably. When a person doesn't believe, then they're disobedient. If a person's disobedient, then they don't believe. And it's used interchangeably in some of those passages in that, in that discussion there. And so we need to understand that we're saved by faith. Now, you listen to a lot of denominational preachers. You turn on the radio just this morning. You listen to a bunch of denominational preachers. It's faith by itself, all by itself. You don't have to do anything else. And if you're going to have it just all by yourself, you have to eliminate grace. If it's faith alone, because it can't be faith alone and have something else. What they want to do is they want to get rid of obedience. And that's the next thing we need to understand, that we're saved by obedience. 
It's an obedient faith. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Brethren, we have to continue to obey the gospel. We can't stop obeying the gospel. If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel, you have to obey it in order to be pleasing to God. And we have to continue to obey it once we've been immersed in water. And then he says we're saved by baptism. This, this, look at the passage. Go back. We're saved. There's a like figure where baptism does also, also now save us. And so we need to understand that baptism saves us. And we have plenty of passages. Every example in the book of Acts. Every example. You have preaching. In every example. You have preaching the gospel. And in every example, the common thread is you have, you have baptism. You have those two. Now, in, in some places, you have preaching. You have repentance and baptism. Some places, you have preaching, confession, and baptism. In some places, you just have preaching and baptism. But in every example, in the book of Acts, I wonder why that is. Why is it that in every example of salvation in the book of Acts, and by the way, the Acts of the Apostles teach us how they did things. It's the action of the Apostles. What conclusion we come to? Jackie, I'm not a smart fellow, but I figure that if everybody did that back in the book of Acts, that's what we have to do, isn't it? Every example. If I miss a boat, let me know where it's at. Every example of salvation in the book of Acts, you have preaching the gospel and you have baptism. Now you have other elements mentioned, but you don't have all elements in all passages. And that's fine. But you do have those two mentioned. Peter, on this occasion, says that baptism doth also now save us. What's he mean by that? Well, someone said, well, baptism is just the figure. No. Noah's the figure, and the water's the figure. That's the figure. Salvation, Noah's salvation is a figure. Our salvation is the fulfillment. The Old Testament is the shadow. The New Testament is the substance. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. In fact, the American Standard Version has it's the true likeness. The likeness is between Noah's salvation and ours. In that there is salvation, water is the instrument, and water separates the saved from sin. That's the extent of the, that's the, extent of the comparison in these passages. Someone said, well, we have to stay out of the water just as Noah did. No, that's not what he's talking about. If that's the case, if that's a parallel, then it would be, you'd be lost if you were baptized. That's not the parallel. He goes on and explains baptism in the passage. He says, not the putting away the filth of the flesh. What's that mean? It's not the washing of your body. It's not, it's not that. It's not the removal of the dirt from the flesh. We all take a bath. I take a bath on Saturday night whether I need to or not. You know, I use deodorant once a week, and that's on Monday before I go to work. 
it wears off by Friday. The point being is, it's not the removal. Get your hands dirty, go wash your hands. Get all sweaty and hot. You go wash your face, wash off, take a shower, take a bath, whatever the case. That's not what baptism is. It's not the removal of flesh, of the filth of the flesh. The power is not in the water. As some people falsely accuse Christians of believing. It's not in the water. The water is the separation. He also discusses here, he says, the answer of a good conscience toward God. And you know, the best explanation I have of that, it's, and he talks about, he says, it's not the, move, not the removal of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward God. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Yeah, and I like to let the Bible comment on the Bible. And here's a good commentary on this passage. And now while you're waiting, arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What takes place when we call upon the name of the Lord? Well, when we're baptized, we're calling upon His name. It's not prayer, but it's a calling upon the name of the Lord. What are we calling for? Well, He explains it to us. We're making an appeal to God for a clean conscience, for a good conscience toward God. Not toward man, but toward God. And if you go back and look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, he talks about how we've been cleaned and our conscience clean. Our bodies, we're not clean. But our mind and our conscience was clean by the sprinkling of water with the blood of Christ Jesus. That's the explanation of what that means. And so the, the question is, what happens when one is baptized? And by the way, it was given and guaranteed because and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why the preaching of the cross is so important. That's why the Apostle Paul said that he came not knowing anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. He talks about how that he, was, he preached that Jesus died and was buried and was raised again according to the Scriptures. Because all this was guaranteed for the fact that Jesus died upon the cross, that Jesus buried in the tomb, and He was raised the third day. And so what's the result of that? Well, the result is we're saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from our sins. We're saved from all the past sins we've ever committed. Who does the saving? God does. It's the operation of God. It takes place. What happens? What's the result of that? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, we become servants of righteousness. We're, we stand as righteous before God. We stand before God when we come up out of the water grave of baptism. I remember an older fellow. I don't know if y'all knew him. I know Jackie did. Lowell Blasingame. We were talking about one time about perfect, being perfect. And he are sinlessly perfect. You know, there's people make a lot of hay about that. And old Lowell, he said, I don't know what's wrong with saying you're sinlessly perfect. And I kind of, okay, explain this to me, Lowell. He had a way of doing it. He said, when a person is born upon this earth and he comes to this earth, what condition is he in? 
he's sinlessly perfect, right? And if he dies in that condition, where will he stand? He'll stand before God as sinlessly perfect, right? Okay, can't argue with him. I wouldn't argue with Lowell too much anyway. But then he said, okay, you have that same person. He learns what sin is. He fails God and he sins. Then he hears the gospel. And he hears the word of God. He repents of his sins. Makes a good confession. He's buried with him in baptism. And he comes up out of that water. What condition is he in? He said, and this is what he, I'll never forget. He said, Randy, he comes up and as he stands before God, he is sinlessly perfect. And if he died just like that, he would be as good. That death would be just as if that baby. I can't argue with that. Can you? What does baptism do? It washes away sin. It forgives our sin. It gives us remission of sin. It takes away sin. Is that water salvation? The Bible calls it. Why? When does a person make contact with the blood of Christ? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It's in the death of Christ. And there's two passages. There's only two passages in all the Bible that tells us how to get to the death of Christ. Actually, one. But there's two passages that teach us how to get into Christ, and it's baptism that puts us into Christ. And there is the blessings and the foundation of our salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says we're saved. How? In the name of Christ. Can we be outside of Christ? And be saved? No. How do I get into Christ? Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. Baptism puts me into Christ. Yet you have people say, well, you can't be saved without, you can't be saved. You just have to have faith. You don't have to do what God says for us to do. You can't sing. We as Christians cannot sing nothing but the blood of Christ because we believe in mortal salvation. I believe in water salvation to the extent that the Bible teaches it. And the Bible does teach it, just as it teaches salvation by grace, salvation by faith, salvation by obedience, salvation by all the things we listed. And there may be others that you could add to that list. But I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about this for me. Which statement will you accept? Baptism doth also now save us, or baptism doth also not save us? What will you accept? Which one is true? Which one is false? What's the Bible teach? If the Bible is true, will you not do what it says for you to do? Will you not be obedient to the gospel of Christ? And just do what the Apostle Paul or Saul Tarsus at the time was told to do. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling upon the name of the Lord. And doing that, be raised to walk in a new life. And then live your life in accordance with His will. And do just like Noah did. Do everything God tells you to do. In life. And then someday, heaven will be our home. If we can help you in any way in your obedience to the gospel, won't you come as together we stand and we sing.